0: All right, uh, we are in week five of Ephesians. So if you're here for the first time, uh, checking out Hope or, or here uh, seeing little Soren, um, hopefully today will we'll make a little bit of sense. We're in week five of Ephesians and we, we are coming out of spending three weeks looking at Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. And so we are now moving on, right? Uh, we, are, we are moving on from those verses and we are in a new, new little chunk here. And, uh, and, and I'm excited about, about this passage, not just because it's new, but because it, it just, as I was studying it, as I was reading it, um, I got really convicted. Uh, I felt really guilty. Uh, and then I felt the grace of God. And so I hope that the same thing happens to you this morning. And so, We are gonna be looking at Ephesians uh, 1, 15 through 23. I'll have all the the scripture up on screen. Um, Typically read from the the NIV, which uh, I will do if otherwise said this morning, and I'll I'll let you know if I don't, and there's a reason why. Uh, But the the title of this sermon this week is Always Remembering You in My Prayer. And we're looking at Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. So I'm just gonna read this passage, Uh, not very long, uh, but I'm just gonna read through this once. And then we're gonna kind of go through a lot of scripture and then get back to this passage. And so um, let, me, let me read this. Ephesians chapter one, 15 through 23 says this. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking The power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the one that is to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I wanna take a moment and, and talk about some, some great prayer warriors. Uh, it might be a phrase, maybe it's new to you, uh, but I know I, I grew up uh, hearing about some people, men and women of faith that just prayed a lot and their lives were, were impacted uh, by their faith. I, I remember in, in seminary, I, I, we, I had to read a book. Every book I read in seminary was because I had to read it. You know how that is when you're in school, like, ugh, I gotta read again, I guess. And I remember though, this one particular was on prayer. And and we were required, like, like, in the class, like, you need to spend 30 minutes in prayer today. And it's like, oh, that just feels very counterintuitive, you know? Uh, and so I remember, though, just being really convicted about my prayer life. And then especially as I would read about certain individuals, um, and so uh, I want to just take a moment, look at, look at these individuals. And maybe these individuals who took what Paul says here to heart, uh, that they have... Pray without ceasing. They're always remembering people in prayer. And so I just want to look at that. One of the individuals, which you probably know I was going to go here if you know me at all, is Martin Luther. And there's this quote that has been attributed to him that says this, I, if I fail to spend two hours in prayer each morning, the devil gets the victory through the day. I have so much busyness, I cannot go without spending three hours daily in prayer. Oh, cool, 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 Martin, right? Uh, <laughs> what? What? <laughs> Three hours, right? I could read a phone book and pray for everyone in St. Paul in three hours, right? Like what, phone books, they're not even around. They don't do that anymore. Yeah, remember that? Remember you you didn't have a choice, but your name, your address, and your phone number were, were public information? Yeah, not anymore. Can't do that anymore. I got rights. All right, here's the point. I like to do a little bit of research. And so I don't wanna just throw a random quote up there. I don't know if Martin Luther actually said this. There's been a lot of paper and a lot of ink that have been spent on studying Luther and all the things that he did over 500 years ago. But this one, I have no idea where this came from. The first usage of this quote came from a Spurgeon, an old dead pastor that quoted Luther a couple hundred years ago. And this is what he said in a sermon. I don't know if Spurgeon was just making it up. He doesn't seem like the guy that would make stuff up, but I couldn't find him. Um, so maybe he said it, maybe he didn't. But here's what I was able to find. He had a friend, Viet Dietrich. I'm probably not saying that right, but uh, here's what he said about his buddy Luther. He said, one time I had the opportunity to hear him praying. Good God, what spirit, what faith was in his words. He prayed for things that seemed to, that he seemed to be holding a conversation with a, a father or friend. I know, he said, that you are our father and God. Therefore, I am sure that you will destroy the persecutors of your children. If you do not do this, the result will be disaster for us. The whole affair is yours. We are constrained to implore you for this. Therefore, defend us, and so on. I, I, my guess is that, that Viet put the, put the end of the quotation in the wrong space. I just don't feel like Luther is praying, therefore, defend us, and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Right, I got a feeling he was saying, he prayed kind of like that is my guess. I was standing nearby and heard him praying in a clear voice, using words to that effect. My soul was set on fire with such a singular passion to hear him speak with God in such a friendly, serious, and reverent manner. And throughout the prayer, he injected psalms so that he was quite certain that everything for which he prayed would come about. Another individual um, that uh, I know that I remember hearing preached about and taught about, uh, maybe not preached about, but definitely taught about was a, was a, a gentleman by the name of George Mueller. Um, in around the 18, early, late 20s, early 30s, that he was um, uh, the, the president of uh, the Ashley Downs Orphanage in Bristol, England. Um, and what's wild about George, there, there, he has a printed journal that is just prayer requests. Uh, and, and then after each prayer request, that he, will, he would mark, that when it was answered. Um, and there were over like 200,000 entries into this journal of, of prayers that he had made and over 50,000 of them that he had claimed that were answers to prayer. Uh, there are stories, and this one I couldn't back up, there were no photographs of this, photo, photographs? Um, there were no pictures of this or anything, uh, that, when he, that where he would pray in his office uh, that there were, supposedly there were um, indentations in the floorboards where his, his knees uh, had just warped the wood. And, I, and to, from knowing everything I've read about George Mueller, it seems, seems to make, make sense uh, about this man. I don't know if that's true or not, but this is what he said. These were, these were his words. I live in the spirit of prayer. I pray as I walk, when I lie down, when I rise up, and the answers are always coming thousands and tens of thousands of times. And that's true, right? He, he documented this. Have my prayers been answered? When once I am persuaded that the thing is right and for the glory of God, I go on praying for it until the answer comes. Um, and he also invented the faux uh, which I was unaware of uh, until I saw that, that image. Right, Luther, man, I got a busy day today. I'm gonna spend an extra hour in prayer. Well, I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna record hundreds of thousands of prayers. And I'm not gonna stop praying for it. And you, and it's like, you, he proved it. This is what he did. Um, I was reminded, though, this past week of, of something my, my grandfather said at my great-grandma's funeral. Uh, my great-grandma, and I, I could not find a picture of her. I know it's terrible, but I couldn't find a picture of my great-grandma. Uh, so I did the next best thing, and I got a picture there. My, my grandfather, uh, who has since passed, he, he passed away in 2017, but he was a pastor, Uh, in a little town, Georgetown, Illinois, for 40 years. And um, a great godly man, Uh, loved him, looked up to him, obviously. Um, but I remember at my great-grandma, uh, Emma Silver, uh, and we have a daughter, Emma Silver, in case you didn't know that, uh, who wasn't necessarily named after my great-grandma, but it's a good silver name. Although last night, looking for a picture of Emma Silver from Hoopston, Illinois, there are uh, multiple great-granddaughters apparently with the name Emma Silver, <laughs> and a few of them still live in Hoopston, <laughs> which is kind of interesting. So I did not know that. So uh, anyways, uh, poor little Emma Silver's got some competition. Um, Anyways, I remember at the funeral, this would have been back in 2007, my great-grandma died when she was 95. Um, she was always witty, lived by herself uh, to the last days. Um, and I remember though, my, my grandpa at the funeral getting up there and just saying, he had just retired. He retired a week before my, my, his, his mom died. And uh, they were kind of neighbor, in neighboring towns down there. And he, I, 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 and it's just seared into my brain. I remember my grandpa getting up there and just saying, it's a good thing I retired last week because I know that my mom spent hours praying for me each week. And I don't think I could do this job without her praying for me. And I just remember that, right? Of like, man, that... That's so powerful to have a, a, a mom or, or a grandma or a great grandma who prayed like that. And I wanted to pray like that and I wanna, I wanna be that way for my kids, right? And there's just that, that conviction that overwhelms that if only I could be like that, if I could be like Luther or, or Mueller or, or like uh, you know, Emma Silver, my great grandma, how come I don't pray like that? Why, why don't I pray like that? Does God listen to to those individuals more than he would listen to me? So I wanna look at today, this morning, for the rest of our time, a biblical theology on prayer. And this isn't so much on how to pray and and that or or like a deep theology, you know, systematic theology when when Paul and I teach through that on like how this is how prayer works or anything like that. But I really wanna focus on how are we even able to pray? How are we as human beings allowed to actually pray and have the God and creator of the universe hear us and even want to hear us? How does that work? So I wanna go back and I'm to kind of do what we call a biblical theology. And I wanna look at some key themes that we see in prayer uh, in the scriptures in the Old Testament and in the New, and then hopefully get back to Ephesians and, and land this plane. So I'm gonna go back to the beginning, how we were created to interact with God. In Genesis chapter three, verses eight and nine, specifically right here, verse eight, it says, and the man and his wife, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. How were we created to talk and interact with God in the cool of the day? Just talking, just having a conversation. I remember when I, I, for a while, I spent some time living in South Carolina and you just had this, um, we, we get heat up here, right? But it's not like oppressive. Um, and, and down there, it was just hot. And, and, but in the, in the evening, when the sun would start to set, it was be- before the sun actually went down because once the sun went down, bugs as size your hands, they all came out at once. Like they all had the same alarm clock and they're like, it's time to go eat people, right? Um, and so you had to retreat back inside, but there was this window right, this cool of the day where it was just beautiful, right, and everyone had porches, he'd sit out there, hey neighbor, I'm drinking some tea, right, just, just relaxing, right, but instead of having a conversation with my best friend and we might have a disagreement or an argument or anything like that, that I can just talk with God, hey God, I got a question about this thing, hey, I'm having this disagreement with my wife, can you help me out, and all of his answers are perfect, you can just talk with them, that's how we were created, but it doesn't stay like that. Adam and Eve sin, and this is actually after they have sinned that God comes through his usual routine to hang out with his children. But as he was walking the garden in the cool of the day, they hid. That's what we always wanna do when we sin or we don't want it to be exposed. We wanna hide it. And they hid from Lord God among the trees of the garden, but then God, just like all of humanity in the history of humanity, it's not us trying to find God. It's always God saying, where are you? That's how we were created, but we weren't left there very long. So then how are we left? How are we left to feel when we interact with God? What we do know from scripture, and again, I'm not gonna just necessarily take the time to look at all these passages, But what we do know from the Old Testament is that only certain individuals are actually allowed to approach God. That's prophets, that's kings, and it's priests, and that's it. And what's interesting about prophets, priests, and kings, it was just a handful of individuals, but what's interesting is that it was only men and it was only Jewish men. And so if we were in the olden days, none of us could approach God, not one of us, unless you're of a Jewish heritage, then you could. None of us could go to the throne. None of us could go to the temple. We always had to go to a priest to intercede on our behalf. We always had to hear the word of God from a prophet. I couldn't hear from God. We were left feeling like, like Job. I know last, uh, what would have been 2000 and, uh, 2020, uh, right when the pandemic started, I remember we, we were preaching through Job. It was a little too surreal at that time. But I remember preaching through Job and, and, and Job was a wealthy individual who loses everything. His entire family, his 10 kids, his wealth, his land, everything gets taken, gets destroyed. He's physically oppressed. And he to himself says, I've done nothing wrong. I have done nothing to deserve this and I need to have a talk with God, but he can't. He's not allowed to do that, not at this point. And so Job has a, has a beef with God. So in Job chapter nine, verse 33 through 35, Job says this, and you you gotta hear the, the angst and the grief in his voice. If only there was someone to mediate between us, between me and God, someone, if only there was someone to bring us together, someone to remove God's rod from me so that his terror would frighten me no more, then I would speak up without fear of him. But as it now stands with me, I cannot. It's always uh, interesting. And I, and I would encourage you to do this when you're reading your Bible. Feel free to get a different English translation. We have a lot of really good, trustworthy English translations um, and so it's, it's kind of fun to do a little word study, see what other, how other um, uh, translators took a word and changed a little bit. And so this is one where almost every translation has a different word and it just kind of adds. It doesn't necessarily take anything away or get confusing. It, I think it, it just kind of helps us get a, a better angle on this. So this is from the NIV, what we normally read from at Hope. Uh, but the NASB, oh, sorry. So don't be like this. Don't go to the bookstore or like the coffee shop. Look at all my Bibles, right? Uh, just use an app. Here's an app for that. You can... You can just click through them, right? Here's the Nasby, though. There is no umpire between us who may lay his hand upon us both, right? It's just this beautiful image of that there is, there is no one to, to mediate, to be in between, to umpire, to say, hey, hey, here's what's happening, right? You're safe, you're out, and here's why, and put his hands on us both and bring us together. There's nobody there to do that. We see that in the New American Standard Bible, the English Standard Version says this, there is no arbiter between us who might lay his hands on us both, right? When we think of arbitration of somebody who, when I do counseling of any kind, I'm, I'm a mediator, I'm an arbiter of like, hey, you wanna say your, your beef? You wanna say your beef? Okay, now let me help you translate. Let, you didn't listen uh, to her at all uh, and you don't talk like that to her, right? Whatever it may be. I'm an arbiter. And Job is crying out, and, uh, and the King James, and I know I, sometimes I make fun of the King James Version just because the language is a little archaic, but, but this last Thursday in our systematic theology class, Paul and I, uh, there was a woman who always reads from the King James Version because it's, it's new to her. She didn't grow up with it. and So it just kind of makes you think in a different, different way. Uh, and so the King James, though, says, uh, neither is there any daysman betwixt us, All right? So, um, so neither is there any dazemen betwixt us. And I, you know, what's crazy is I, was, I thought, oh, dazemen, I bet this is gonna be a really, really cool word study. And when you, when you look it up and you try to dig into it, it means arbiter or umpire. Uh, I thought it would be some cool history behind it, it's not, there's nothing, nothing cool about it. Right, so anyways, there's, I've, I've, made, I've made my poke there. I like King Jimmy, he's fine, but um, it's a little, the betwixt us, a little difficult to read, right? But Job is feeling that. He's feeling lost. Why? Because he cannot approach the throne of God. We see this in Exodus. We preached to this several years ago. Exodus chapter 19, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Just a little bit of context. They've already crossed. They've they've gotten freed. All the plagues happened in Egypt. Uh, They crossed the Red Sea. They've been freed. And now they're wandering in the wilderness Uh, and and they go to this mountain, Mount Sinai, and this is when God gives them the Ten Commandments. And so, so Moses is up there, but only Moses can go up there because God, Yahweh, the Holy One of Israel, unapproachable light and glory, that if you look at me, you're going to die. So, Here's the warning. Have them wash their clothes and be ready on the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain, right? A little caution tape around the entire mountain and tell them be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death, they are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live, even animals. Only when the ram's horn sounds, it's long blast, may they approach the mountain, right? And I can imagine after the, that brr of the trumpet that they're not like, let's go, we're up the mountain, right? It's safe now. I got a feeling they're like, "Nah, I'm good. I'm okay. I'm okay. I don't need to go over there. Right? That, that's what it was like. That's how we were left to, to feel in this time. We were left to feel interacting with God. We see, though, this accuser of the brethren. We've already seen Job, and, and in, in not try to get into language too much, but uh, Satan literally means accuser, the accusing one. That Satan is an accuser, the devil. He says this in Zechariah, and this is a, not, a, not a very well-known, we don't read Zechariah a whole lot, a minor prophet, but Joshua, who's the, the kind of descendant of Moses, he's gonna take over the nation of Israel as their, their leader and their prophet after Moses dies. And Joshua is having these visions, or Zechariah is having these visions of, of what's happening, of the throne room. Again, only a Jewish man who's a prophet has access to this. And so he has this image. It says that he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan, standing at his right hand to accuse him. All right, so so Zachariah is getting this image of a man of God chosen by God, standing before the throne of God. And who is there? The accuser saying, whoa, 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 God. God, you're you're telling me that you chose this guy? Hey, do you know how wicked he is? Do you know the, the filth that he is in? Well, if it weren't for Jesus, that's all of our fate. We can't approach the throne room of God. We can't talk to God without intercession. That was all of our fate when it came to our relationship with God the Father, but then Jesus comes and he changes everything. So how is it that Jesus allows all People to pray. And I've kind of got some, I don't know, subcategory, subpoints here. And I want to walk through even those three things of the accuser, of a mediator, of the fear of death at approaching God, that what, what happens in Christ that changes how we pray. Hebrews chapter 12 says this, you church have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm, right? This is the Exodus passage. That's what was once the case with approaching God. No longer the case. To a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. That even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear, but you Have come to Mount Zion. You have come to the city. You have come to this place where Jesus, Christ's blood, is now on the mountain. And to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in fearful assembly, in joyful assembly. To the church of the firstborn of, of Christ, whose names are written in heaven, you have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus. Here it is, the mediator, the arbiter, the daysman of a new covenant. And continuing in, going further earlier on in Hebrews, the author says this Therefore, since we have such great a high priest who has ascended into heaven. Well, I, I don't have a physical priest that I need to go to for forgiveness of my sins. I go to the high priest. I go directly to Jesus in prayer. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly, hold fast to the faith we profess for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, right? If only... Right, as we cry out like Job, if I just had somebody between me and this holy God, I just, I just need to access. I need forgiveness for the things I've done. I have questions. If only that person was there. And what the author of Hebrews is saying, Jesus is there that we have a mediator who's able to empathize, that he can put his hand on God and his hand on us and say, I am here to mediate on your behalf because I look at you, I look at your sin, I look at your suffering, I look at your pain, and I see you, I hear you, I know. I know what it's like to be in your shoes. He was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Other translations say boldness. Do you see the difference here between this side of the cross and what it was previously? You can't even look at God. You can't approach God. You're dirty, you're filthy. But now Jesus comes and he sheds his blood and gives us forgiveness of our sins if we believe in him and to the point now where we can go boldly, with confidence to the throne of grace, not fear and trembling. Why? So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So when we're suffering, maybe even to the magnitude as Job, Jesus says, I'm here for you. Jesus allows, uh, allows all people to pray. That's another big aspect is that before it was only men, Jewish men in these certain roles, but now it's all people. But another aspect though is that we, do we approach in fear of the accuser pointing out our filth the way that, that Satan does to Joshua? A lot of you, this might not mean anything and that's okay. But this is a, a image of a tract. A tract was a uh, a big thing uh, in the eighties and nineties, um, and uh, what we used to do is we used to take these little booklets, little tracks, and uh, hand them out to people. Right? We'd stand in a corner and say, "You're going to hell. You need to read this." Literally, that's what we did. It worked great. Uh, you know, one percent of the time it worked every time. Uh, and um, and and there was in particular these these tracks. I don't. The, it's this guy's name, uh, but they're called Chick Tracks. Just how you would think it's spelled. It is. Uh, these are chick tracks, and these little booklets in here, and, uh, and and this one though I remember this as a child, and I remember this image, right? Uh, and so I know it's hard to, to read; it's kind of small, but 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 you have this little tiny angel down there, and then with little you, um, and then you have you don't see God, but he's up on that up on that throne, obviously huge, and what's he say? God shouts out, "Review his life," <laughs> right? And the angel's like, "Yes, Lord." And the next image. It's like, like you're in a movie theater. This was your life. And it starts off, the next page you turn it and it's like baby in the little, the little bassinet thing at the hospital. And he's like, wait, you're gonna watch my whole life? And the angel's like, yeah, we're gonna watch the whole thing. He's like, oh no, not everything. And it's like, oh, they said a bad word and they did this thing and they looked at that thing and he's like, oh man, stop it, turn it off, I feel so bad, right? That would, That's what the accuser does. <laughs> The accuser stands up and says, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, God, you're telling me that you're gonna save Brian from his sins? How you, do you know his sins? Do you know how wicked he is? Do you know how deceitful his heart is? And Jesus steps up in between my accuser and says, are you talking about my brother? Get out of here, man. No, I already paid for this. There's no display of my sin. What I do know because of Christ that my sin is removed as far as the east is from the west. It's gone, never again. And so even within Zechariah, this prophet, later on, there's a little bit of confusing language here, but, I wanna, but But what happens here is a prophecy of someday Jesus is gonna come and he's gonna fix this, that there is no longer gonna be an accuser. Here, listen, this is now Yahweh, God, talking to Zechariah and slash Joshua. Listen, High Priest Joshua, you and your associates seated before you, who are men symbolic of things to come, I am going to bring my servant, the branch, which is just another title uh, for the Messiah. I'm going to bring the branch. See the stone I have set in front of Joshua, this rock. There are seven eyes on this stone, It's one stone. It just means able to, uh, all seen can, 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 is omnipotent, omniscient, all those different uh, analogies there. And I will engrave an inscription on it says, the Lord Almighty. Here he goes. And I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. Zechariah, you're getting ahead of yourself in the timeline here, man. No, 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 because you understand the law, right? The law says that we perform a sacrifice every single day, day in and day out. A priest goes in and performs a sacrifice to atone for the sins of himself and for the people. But Zechariah, you're telling me that God says in a single day, he's gonna remove from this branch? How's that work? And then I love verse 10. In that day, each of, each of you will invite your neighbor to sit under your vine and fig tree, to declares the Lord Almighty. This is everybody. Who's my neighbor? It's everybody. Another other translations, will translate it that way. He's gonna unite everybody to be in peace and be under the shade. Not just Jewish men in a certain role, all people. That's gonna happen someday, only through my branch. We see this again in Revelation chapter 12. The exact, just the same words of accuser, then I heard a loud voice. This is another uh, uh, apostle, John, writing this. And he says, I heard another, a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Messiah, of his branch for the accuser, Satan, the devil, the dragon, that ancient serpent, the accuser of our brothers and sister, sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. (laughs) He can't accuse you anymore. Why? Because Jesus triumphed over him by his blood. So how does Jesus allow all people to pray in fear of approaching God? No, we see that that's gone. In fear of the accuser putting out our filth, no. In fear of trying to mediate for myself, maybe I can be good enough. Maybe I can and and be sinless enough. I can just be a rule follower enough. No. What well, we read in First Timothy chapter two verse five it says there is one God and there is one mediator, there's one arbiter, there's one umpire between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. So now I want to go back and read this passage again. Do I need to be a Luther? Do I need to be a Mueller? Müller, Müller. <laughs> don't need to be an Emma Silver. Don't need to be a uh, Apostle Paul. Let's read this now with the gospel lens, with the freedom that I have in Christ. For this reason, he's going back to Ephesians three through fifteen, which I'm not going or three through fourteen. I'm not going to go back and reread that, but remember, it was all one sentence. One sentence long and he's recalling everything because you have now put your faith in Christ and you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit that is guaranteeing our inheritance because you are now in Christ for this reason. Ever since I heard about your faith in Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. This is what we shouldn't hear. You need to pray like me. You need to do it like me. Hey, church, right? There's no command here. The the apostle Paul is not saying, hey, do as I do. What we do see is the apostle Paul being what some theologians will call a type of Christ. That he's saying, I am going to always, continually pray for you. But Paul is human. And guess what? Paul died. And when Paul died, he can't continually pray for us. But in that moment, maybe he was. But what we do know is that because Jesus is risen from the dead, that he is always interceding for us. Romans chapter eight, 33 through 39. Who then is the one who condemns? Who is the accuser? Who's the person who points the finger at me and says, you're wicked, you're evil. How dare you pray to God? Who's the one who condemns? No one. Why? Christ Jesus who died more than that that neither death, nor life, nor angels, or demons, neither this present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The Apostle Paul, continuing here in Ephesians, says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelations so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And what's interesting is right here, there's kind of a break, that the first few verses here, the apostle Paul saying, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. I love you. I want you to remember what it is that Christ has done. I'm praying for you. And then he uses this word Hope. <laughs> that you may know the hope. And then he just starts going, I got to talk about Jesus more. I know I was talking about you and how much I want you to fall in love with Jesus, but now I'm just going to talk about Jesus (laughs) and his incomparably great power for us who believe. The power is the same as the mighty mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. There are over a hundred times in the Bible that it talks about Jesus being seated in the heavenly realms. Over a hundred times. We already read one just now just in Romans. Many, many times. And we could look at all of these. And I, I love the mental image of Jesus seated in the heavenly realms, the right hand of the heavenly father. But then in verse 22, and he placed all things under his feet. I just love the mental image of that. Jesus is in a chair and to have something under your feet It's like an an ottoman, right? You you are in a relaxed position when you got something under your feet. That the image I have is not Jesus pacing around heaven. Oh, what are we gonna do with Brian? What's gonna happen here? I don't know. I don't know if he's gonna handle this hardship. I don't know how he's gonna do this. I, I don't know what's happening tomorrow. No, he's got his feet up. He's relaxed. He knows what's gonna happen. And Jesus seated Uh, or God the Father seated him at his right hand, this this position of power and authority and respect and honor, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. That yes, Paul is saying now it's the name of Jesus and it's always gonna be the name of Jesus. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. There's this language that's used in the New Testament that the church, capital C church, all Christian churches that bend the knee to King Jesus, that we are, we make up a body. We talked about that dedicating soaring, that we're a, we're a family, we're a body that cares for one another and loves one another. That's that language. And Jesus is the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. What I love about this passage and even all of Ephesians 1 now that we've gone through for the past five weeks, there are no commands. There are no commands from the apostle Paul that says, church, I need you to do this thing. I need you to to be better. I need you to pray harder. I need you, no, none of that. The only command, we haven't gotten there yet, so spoiler alert, the first verb that he's gonna give us to to a command for the church is, remember what Jesus did. That's gonna be the first command. Remember. It's not about you. (laughs) It's remember, remember the finished work of Christ. And so every week, that's what we do. We take some time out of our, our morning, and we remember what it is that Christ did. And so we have these elements up here, the, the bread that represents the body of Christ that was broken for us, for us and for you, the juice that represents his blood that was shed for you, that we get to take these elements and, and do the command that we're gonna see in Ephesians and remember the finished work of Christ that you can, I don't care what your sin is, I don't care what's going on, you can boldly approach that throne of grace and find help in a time of need, boldly, with confidence. Because of anything you've done, no. Because of anything I've done, no. Because you go to church, no. Because you pray, no. Because of what Christ has done. He loves you. All we'd ask is that you're a follower of Jesus. You don't need to be a member of this church or any church, but if you say, yeah, I, I love Jesus, I've been the need of King Jesus and we would love for you to partake of these elements with us this morning. If you've never done that, scripture over and over tells us that today is the day of repentance. That today can be your first time taking these communion elements and remembering that. Maybe you grew up in a church where you just felt oppressed. You felt guilt and shame all the time. I'm just not good enough. Man, I'm not like Martin Luther. man. I'm not like like George Mueller. I'm not like the apostle Paul. You don't have to be. You just have to be like Jesus. And guess what? You are counted holy in Jesus because of the work that Jesus did done. Now we remember. So in, in gospel application, Jesus wins, we rejoice. <laughs> we, we get to rejoice <laughs> in the finished work of Jesus. Because like I said, when I first read these passages, right? When I first read this passage, I was like, man, I, oh, I wish I prayed like that. That's there's part of me that does, yeah, I, I, I want to pray more like that, but I, but I get to pray like that. I get to pray to a God that loves me and sent his son for me. Jesus won. And this should move us to prayer with joy. As we partake of these elements, partake, there's my King James popping out again. As we take these elements together, the worship team's gonna play a couple songs. Feel free to, to Pray boldly to the Father. Maybe you've never prayed before, boldly, under the blood of Jesus Christ. That you'd pray, you'd confess sins, you'd rejoice, you'd thank him for what he's done, and that we'd remember what it is that Christ did. I, before, before the musicians come up here and I close in prayer, I, I, I want to say this, that I And I've mentioned this multiple times, but every week there's always a couple questions that I that I want to get in a passage. One is Jesus the hero. And I think today that was pretty simple to to do that. The other question, though, that I try to answer is is the gospel the answer to my problem? And, And maybe I didn't present a good problem, but I think that a lot of us struggle with the sin of trying to be perfect. That we struggle with comparison to other people. I know I do, and I think that comes out in my teaching no longer, that Jesus and the gospel are the answer to my sin problem of not feeling adequate enough because Jesus already did that. And so now we get to remember that finished work that he's done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together this morning, looking at your word and and looking at a lot of, of your word, a lot of scripture. I thank you that we live on, on this side of the cross, that we get to now look back at the finished work of Christ, that we get to look at your servants throughout the centuries that have written about you, that have lived out lives imperfectly, but have always pointed to you. That we don't have to wonder, man, I, I wish there was somebody who could talk to God for me, or, or I need to go to my priest so that he can con- I can confess my sins to him and he can, and tell me what to do and, and what to, how to pray. And then he, can, then he can do this thing for me. And No, I have direct access to God the Father, to you because of the finished work of Christ. So God, I pray that as we partake of these elements, that we would do as Paul is about to command in Ephesians, that we would remember. Yeah, we remember that body that's broken, that blood that is shed. And as often as we partake of these elements, we do that. remembrance of the finished work of your son. And it's in his most glorious name that we pray this morning. Amen.